So Perry, are you telling me waiting for the five housing market to crash will cost me £27,300? Here we are. Did you like that bit of clickbait? <laughs> well, it's definitely the doom and gloom, isn't it? <laughs> Tell you what, we're in for a show. Doom and gloom in the British property market are clickbait doom mongers. What the hell? What the hell's going on? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> eh? Newspapers and clickbait, 24-7 news websites, desperate for clicks, are peddling a story of doomsday time for the economy, particularly the property market, as interest rates and inflation create a perfect storm for the UK and Fife property market. So let's look at what's happening in the British property market and Fife property market on whether house prices will actually drop. Uh, uh, yes, by the way, Fife house prices will be lower in 24 months' time. Mark my words. You've heard it here first. Why, Perry? You know, you know, is that the case or not? I think... I think there will be an effect, but the part of the show is to kind of explain why we think that. But yeah, the reduction in what I believe a property will sell for in the next couple of years compared to the doom mongers is wildly different though, Jim. I think wildly different, definitely isn't it? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, the doom are saying that in 2022, property markets will crash like the years of 1988 and 2008. That's just what's going to happen. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely making it feel that way, aren't they? Come on, let's be serious. I mean, when you look at everything that's happened so far, we're all still here. When you think about the logic of that, we're all still here. So, really? We've been through a credit crunch. Do you think? And we're all still here. So, do you, how? How? Let, let's look at this anyway. The doom mongers are all saying the 22, 2022 property market will be like the crash years of the 1998, you said yourself, and the 2008. Um, I've, got, I've got to be saying, I'm afraid I disagree with this. Let me explain the difference this time compared to the previous house prices crashes. Uh, to start with, here we are. 56.25% of homeowners don't have a mortgage. Whilst in 1988, this was 35.8%. So significantly more people are shielded from interest rate rises. More than half of the homeowners in the country are shielded from interest rate rises. It has no effect on them at all. Jimmy, what is the next point? What is the next point? Negative, negative equity. Is, it, is that the next point? What about negative equity? Yeah, well, negative equity was an issue after 1988 when everyone had endowment mortgages, um, so they have, so they never paid any of the capital of their mortgage. Um, oh, you'll be too young for this, eh? 
You'll never, you'll never remember stuff like this, eh? So uh, let me explain to you what an endowment mortgage is, just for anybody out there that's a bit younger and doesn't understand what endowment mortgage is. So an endowment mortgage was when you took an interest-only mortgage with the bank. So in other words, you didn't pay any of the capital down. If you borrowed 100,000, at the end of 25 years, you could do 100,000 back. Now, 100,000 25 years with inflation wouldn't would be the same as 100,000 today, but that's not the point. Uh, but in order to pay off that 100,000, you had to take out a, a savings policy alongside that with one of the investment houses. And that was called an endowment policy. So in other words, it was to endow the payoff at the end of the £100,000 mortgage. Now, it all went pear-shaped halfway, maybe three quarters of the way through endowment mortgages because the expectation of the growth of the endowment mortgage compared to the loan that was due to be paid off at the end and the time frame it was available wasn't wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. And they all realised that was coming. Plus the fact that uh, negative equity in properties, which is what you're just about to talk about, Jimmy, um, has actually, it, it wouldn't be enough to pay off the capital because there was negative equity in the property as well, which meant the property was actually less than what the mortgage was in the first place. And most mm-hmm. people were saying, what do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I can't even sell the house now. I can't even get out of this mortgage because the endowment mortgage is the problem and the negative equity is the problem. So I'm stuck where I am. Um, therefore, house prices uh, have dropped in negative equity. It was a massive issue for people who owned owned more than what their house was actually worth. Uh, Perry, 2008, full, full speed ahead, what happened? Yeah, well, 2008, I mean, nobody was taking out any endowment mortgages at that time, were they? Um, I'm of an age where I'm like you, Jim, I do remember an endowment mortgage. And actually, Billy and I had an endowment mortgage for the first property that we purchased. (laughs) What I'm going to say next probably goes against the grain of everything that you tell us to do, Jim. But when we knew that that endowment wasn't going to do anything for us, we basically cashed in and took the kids to Florida when they were kids. Now, you would probably say I should have invested that money in something else, but I didn't. I I could work out the opportunity cost of that money you spent on that Florida holiday. It would cost you thousands, tens of thousands of pounds today in today's money. Now, you know what I did with with my endowment policies? I actually took my endowment policies once I sold my house. I kept them and I used them as security against 100% funding to buy buy buy-to-let properties with a bank. So I made money on my endowment policies, plus I made money on the buy-to-let properties and I actually never funded any of the purchase of the buy-to-let properties at all. So I made money on the bank's money and made money on the endowment policies at the same time with the same money. Well, hey... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is exactly what I should have done. And had I known you at the time, probably would have done. But Mickey Mouse is Anyway, we get sidetracked. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, nowadays, you know, when we look at 2008, nobody was taking out down mortgages because there were so many other opportunities out there. Yet still, one and two were interest only mortgages at the time. Yeah. Uh, meaning the capital wasn't being paid off again, although it wasn't endowments, it was still interest only. But today, 17 out of 20 homeowners are on a repayment mortgage. So they have more that, home that says it all, eh? Yep. So, I mean, every payment that they're making to their mortgage is making a dent in what they have outstanding, of course. So negative equity isn't so much an issue nowadays, I don't believe. Yeah. Um, I don't think so as well. The issue is the increasing interest rate. Yes, <laughs> they are rising, albeit from artificially low rates. So... Um, let's explain what we're talking about. In 1988, nearly everybody was on a variable rate mortgage and an average mortgage interest rate was 10.8%. That's pretty eye-watering if people don't realise when the, what that time was and what happened. They actually rose in 1990 
to 16.4%. I mean, that hurt, yes, most, yet most survived, uh, us included. You know, I remember when that happened. The Chancellor brought us out the exchange rate mechanism, and in order to support that, they had to put interest rates up to on an emergency budget to about 15% base rates. And that pushed all the mortgage rates up to about 16 and 17% um, at the time. Um, let's roll back the clock as well to the winter of discontent, where interest rates were 19% and inflation was 25%. That's a huge amount. That was that was that's what happened then. Anyway, I can't see that happening again. In 2008, six out of ten homeowners had learned a lesson and were on fixed rates at an average rate of 6.07%. And yet again, we say 17 out of 20 homeowners have long-term fixed rates with an average rate of drum roll, 2.14%. That's almost a third of what we had in 2008. And we've actually got more homeowners on fixed rates than that time as well, and long-term fixed rates. So there's another wee, wee, wee notch about, you know, yep, okay, that's completely different from when it was there. But, yep, it's it's more secure today than it was then. Um, what else do we need to cover then, Jimmy? Well, it must be noted that home buyers have been stress tested for 6% to 7% mortgages rates since 2014. Yeah. Because the Bank of England MMR rule changed because of their MMR rule changes. Yeah. Well, and it will be challenging and lifestyle choice that will be needing to be made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We should still not be dumping off the housing markets of as we did in 2008, 2009. Yeah. Because basically everybody panicked all at once and then about 6% of the whole housing market came onto the market at the same time. And that's what caused the universal problem of supply and demand. So supply just went, whoa, way over the odds. It, demand wasn't there to support that. So in the short term, there was a collapse in the house prices because of that. And then that then collapsed on the, onto the banks who had not stress tested at that time. And you can see where it's going, you know, mm -hmm. running the banks. That's what happened. Right. The next issue is the number of mortgages being pulled. Yes, around a thousand mortgages deals have been removed in the last week. Um, yet there's still three thousand deals on the market out there, and most of them are still fixed rates. That's wait a minute. That, that's a bit contrary to what we're getting told in the news. <laughs> you know what Absolutely. they did? Yeah, you know what they did? They actually pulled all the mortgage rates off on that day, and two days later they put new ones back on. But we didn't hear that in the news because no one wants to no one wants to report that because that means the economy is stable, isn't it? And we don't want that because we want to sell the news to everybody. Well, is that, I didn't see that in the headlines on Sky News. There's <laughs> any cynical voice. <laughs> <laughs> also, let's not forget that one in five people rent today and are protected from all of this because they rent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in 1988, only one in 14 rented wow. so there's lots more people there's more than double the amount of people renting today and they're shielded from interest rate rises mm -hmm. especially in scotland because guess what there's freeze on rents yeah so they've not got anything to worry about they've just got the rent to pay and that's it um everything should be fine therefore i mean the economic conditions surrounding the house price crash in 1988 and 2008 are now not there anymore don't get me wrong 
those homeowners coming off their fixed rates, for example, of around 2%, in the coming years, will have to make tough choices as they see their monthly mortgage payments substantially rise. Yet, as I've discussed in other articles and other shows, extending your mortgage term can significantly affect your monthly mortgage payment. And there are things that homeowners should be doing right now to mitigate the issue in the coming few years. It's key as a homeowner, if you're on a fixed rate mortgage, that you check when that's going to come out and you make sure you mitigate the liability for that. It might even mean right now that you extend your mortgage period a bit longer. Ask the, you're better to, listen, look at it this way, pairing Jimmy, right? You're, you're not better to ask the bank now just to know what they think rather than actually wait till the last minute and then find out they're saying no. Absolutely. I think that's that, that's exactly what you should be doing. But I think it's not just your mortgage you should be looking at. It's kind of sidetracking a little bit from here. And we've talked about this on previous shows as well. I think if you do a complete financial check on yourself with everything that you're paying, are you getting the best yeah. everywhere? Because actually you might make savings in other parts of your life that actually you can then put towards this impact that it might have should you not get the same deal. Yeah, so back to the question. What's the question, Perry? Well, the question is, the, the economic conditions are not the same, and actually, will there be an effect on the five property market and will properties decrease in value? Yeah. That's the question. But sh my question is, should people wait to move and what will happen to five property prices? Do you want to elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's they shouldn't wait in our view um i think they absolutely need to review their situation just now and um, get an idea of what their property value is get an idea of what mortgage opportunity is out there for them people will be in a situation as well where actually the equity that they've maybe built over the last few years give them much better scope doesn't it yeah i'm just looking up the uh showing the cost of living crisis um, and I'm going to share that in everybody's uh, in these comments in the comments box right now. Now we did a show on the cost of living crisis on the wealth creation show, how to beat the cost of living crisis. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, I hate the cost of living crisis thing. It's like so it costs you to live. <laughs> it's like I'm, no, I'm not up to that at all. It's like hey, you live regardless. It shouldn't be costing you to live. Uh, so I've shared that in there, the link to that show, the Beat the Cost of Living Crisis. That was showing mm -hmm. people how you could save up to fourteen hundred pound, one thousand four hundred pound a month. Some people are saying, I actually didn't even get paid that much. Um, mm. But there'll be something in there at some point in time which will help you significantly. Uh, I yeah. believe that, that the subject, uh, that subject to nothing seismic happening in the world, five property values will be broadly neutral and mm. slowly drift towards, uh, slowly drift downwards over the next 24 months. I believe that they will drift because the issues of inflation and mortgage affordability. Yet, we won't have a crash for the points made in the first part of the show. And I, I believe that the Fife property market will be selling, will be selling for sums of maybe four to six percent less in a couple of years than actually compared today. And this means that we will achieve uh, prices of four to six percent less. Homeowners will still be getting the same prices of property uh, in the market as they were getting in the summer of 2021. Yeah. Again, nobody was complaining about those prices in 2021. 
<laughs> so why would you be complaining with them in a couple of years' time? Oh, my house hasn't gone up enough. It's like, I mean, about four or five years ago, we were saying, how come my house's prices aren't even going up at all? Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we've got a boom. Everybody's expecting to have 20% over. 50%? How have I not got 50% more? <laughs> I think that's the thing, isn't it? And the last two years, I think it's been quite a challenging time as well. When we talk about interest rates and we talk about the changes that are happening within our energy and things like that, but actually we've just gone through like two years worth of pandemic and survived the other side as well in circumstances that no one really anticipated. So if we end up the same as last year, then actually we've all won still out of that, haven't we? Yeah, this is a good one for Andrea said. Uh, Some people will have to move and so we'll have no option. Okay, Andrea. Uh, think about it, you're just like for like. So if property goes down in value by 6% where you are, um, if you're buying almost in the same area of five, for example, uh, then property will probably go down 6% where they are as well. So you're just trading like for like. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's again, it's still apple and apples, even though it goes down. It's the period of time you've left, you've been in your property, which will affect possibly if you're going to get less for your property, as opposed to what you bought it for your er, your ex. Your entry and your exit costs have to be taken into account as well. So somebody has stayed in their property. Now, generally, if somebody moves in, if somebody's moved in in the summer of 2021 and they're moving out now, then there's a, it's going to be few and far between. Uh, more than 50% of homeowners actually move after seven years. So it shows you straight away that it's unlikely that somebody's going to be moving so soon from the summer of 2021. And even in the summer of 2021, when they bought, It'll be back in a couple of years' time at the same price as what they bought for. And then the house that they're buying will be back at that same price as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it, will be, it will not make that much difference. So, uh, Jim, let's assume then that we could be wrong yeah. <laughs> in what we're saying. Um, and there is a significant house price crash. What then? Well, um, let me take it the last two house price crashes first. The housing crash of 1988 saw the average house in the UK drop from £63,784 to £50,167. Boy, those were the days. <laughs> I wish I could buy my house at that place today. Uh, <laughs> a drop, uh, now that equated to a drop of 20.09%. The housing crash of 2008 saw the average house in the UK drop from 184,332 to 154,065 pound. A drop of 16.33%. It was actually less a drop. So let's assume mm-hmm. that five house buyers fall by 18%. Surprisingly, it will not help five house buyers. So let's say that again for house buyers out there that are thinking about, oh, I'm going to sit and wait and see if I can make money out of this. Let's assume, again, I'll say this, that five house prices fall by 18%, surprisingly. It will not help five buyers. It will not help UK buyers either. Why would that be the case, Jimmy? In previous house price crashes, people tend to find their careers are more at risk. And in turn, their wages don't rise as much. Yep. It's, the, it's the younger generation, like first-time buyers range, that often get hit by the toughest um, recessions because they'll have to move back in with family or continue to rent, etc. Yeah, never thought, never thought about that. Perry, what about, you know, do you want to look at first-time buyers? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first-time buyers, um, if they wait until 2024 to buy their five property and values drop by 18%, as we're saying, yeah. um, that will prove more expensive for them, um, mm -hmm. which doesn't sound right. It will prove more expensive. How would it prove more expensive? So let's explain a bit about that. So in the last property crash of eight, 2008, lenders withdrew 5% deposits on their mortgages. The smallest yeah. mortgage that a first-time buyer could obtain was with a 10% deposit. So if you think about that, they're going to have to come up with double their deposit. If even that those happens. were hard to come by, by the way. Yeah, and even those are hard to come by. But effectively, they would have to find double the money now, wouldn't they? Okay. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm intrigued. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more. So when writing this article, first-time buyers could only obtain 5% deposit mortgages for fixed rate of, say, 3.92%. So we're sitting maybe at about 42 in the examples we shoot so earlier yep. in the year. But the typical first-time buyer terrace house in five sells for 157,648. Whoa, wait a minute. Back up there. Did you just say at the time that this article was written that 5% mm -hmm. deposit mortgages for a fixed rate was 3.92 for mm -hmm. five years? Mm-hmm. What happened to the news that said it was 6%? <laughs> We've not seen it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's lies, damn lies and statistics, isn't it? It's that clickbait that you say. So, the typical first-time buyer terrace house in Fife sells for £157,648. Um, if first-time buyers were to buy now, on this mortgage deal that we're talking about, they would have to find £7,882 for a deposit. And then their monthly mortgage payments would be £655.96. I'm a great calculator. <laughs> <laughs> per month, by the way. Uh, so let's say property values in Fife do drop by 18% in the next 24 months. The terraced house would now be worth £129,271. A significant saving in the, in the purchase price. Mm -hmm. Or is that really? Um, is it really, Perry? No, it's not. I mean, everyone believes Bank of England will raise interest rates further. So yeah. let's assume that they go to 5.5% by the autumn of 24, say. Which is um, what they're trying to say. Yeah, which is what they're currently saying. So they're, well, they're saying six, aren't they? But we'll go with 5.5. <laughs> yep. um, that'll mean that the rate for a 10% deposit first-time buyer mortgage will be in the early 7% compared to that 5.5 example that we gave. Oh, my God, the penny's just dropped. So it is. And that means that their new fixed-rate mortgage will be on double the amount almost. Correct. Therefore, the way it will cost them more than a mortgage, which in turn will cost them a lot more money over the longer period, whereas they're yeah. fixing now for a five year at 3.92 in, in equivalent terms, in monetary terms, it will be it will be still more <coughs> beneficial over and above the price drop because of the yeah. amount of mortgage that they'll have to pay on that. God, I never it never really occurred to me until until that sort of sort of hit. So this will mean that the rate of 10% deposit first-time buyer's mortgage will be in the early 7%, as you said, and assume it's 7.19, uh, because the lenders have in the past increased, increased the gap between the Bank of England base rate and the mortgage rate. You know, it's how they do that, eh? 
Uh, Bank of England base rates are going up uh, uh, half a percent. Uh, oh, we're going to put your mortgage up 0.6%. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute. Base rates have only moved up half a percent. Why are you putting another percent on this? Why are you? Because it's like, oh, there's a great opportunity for us to make a bit more money. Um, and my cynical voice again. Um, between the Bank of England base rate and the mortgage rate and the more challenging economic times, it's basically what they do is the reason they do that is to allow for extra risk. That's really what it's down to. Yeah. So the monthly mortgage payment in two years on this 7.19% mortgage would be £758.83 per month. And in those two years, you have to have saved an additional £5,045 because you'd have to get a 10% deposit now to put down £12,927. So even if five house prices, and this is the clincher here, dropped 18%, the first-time buyer would be £1,234 worse off a year in mortgage payments alone. And that would have to save many thousands, and, and, and then they would have to as well save many thousands extra for their deposit over and above, which is the extra £5,000. And then there's the other cost of waiting. What's the other cost of waiting, Jimmy? Well, you have two years' worth of rent to pay. The average rent for a property in Fife is around about £773 per month. Yeah, it's not like what the Scottish government says, £1,200 a month. It's actually £773 a month. And people, That's just um, me being political, but I'll not say anything more about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to say the time people have, the time people have waited two years for the prices to drop 80%, the extra deposit that they've saved is they think they're probably going to save and be able to put a bigger deposit down. That's probably just catching up to the rise in interest rates. Yeah. And to put so, some... so if, you, if you waited a couple of years for the house prices to drop by the 18%, you would spend 18,500, and I'll say that again, 18,552 pounds in rent, plus have a higher mortgage payments in 2024, 2025 and 2026 and with the extra deposit mentioned above this would add up to an additional drum roll 27,300 pounds over the next five years now if you want to rent i'll happily rent to you because i'm a landlord and i'll get your rent but i tell you what we're telling you right now holding off to wait to buy a house to hope for the crash it'll probably never appear is, is, is not the right thing to do. It, you're probably going to lose out, as we've explained here, by several tens of thousands of pounds. Uh, yes, the price you paid for your five home would be lower if you waited for the two years, yet you would only benefit from what you sold on versus the economic pain of two years of extra renting. The higher deposit and the higher mortgage monthly payments in a couple of years' time. Now, this actually doesn't even consider the emotional cost of putting your life on hold for two years mm -hmm. for this to happen. Do you know there's people still right now, after 30 years, telling me that they're going to get into buy-to-let investment? And we're still th we're 30 years on now. Now, I know where I am, but I know where they are working for someone else right now. Mm -hmm. And they will still do that forever because they've never set themselves free. And they're still thinking about it. And they're still thinking about property prices crashing. And they're still thinking, is this, this the right time to buy? It is always the right time to buy is now, every single time, if it makes sense based on your circumstances. 
This is buying a house and investing are both long-term future benefits. They're intrinsic value benefits and tangible. They are not commodities, especially the house that you buy and you live in. It is not a commodity to be bought and sold. It is only allowing you access to have a roof over your head, have the enjoyment and comfort, the peace of your mind, the old thing about, you know, a man is his castle or, you know, a house is his castle or something like that or a kingdom. Um, it springs into mind here. So mm-hmm. it's never, you never buy your own personal house for, for a fact of investing money in a personal house unless you buy it run down and then you do it up as you go. That's mm-hmm. a different strategy, but very few people do that. But if you're buying it just to live in, and, and it serves the purpose for you and your family as you grow up, that's fine. But it also allows you to trade for the next property. So as, it, it doesn't matter when you buy the house, when you're trading to your next property, it's going to be comparatively and proportionately the same price as what you what your house is at that point in time. So unless you're going from a big mansion and significantly downsizing to a two-bedroom bungalow and metal, you know, at like eight to grand, then that's the only way you're ever going to make money at the housing market if you live in your house all the time. Mm-hmm. This is why a lot of people talk about your house as a liability because it just mm-hmm. costs you money every time because to fix it, to mortgage it, to live in it, everything that you do, but that's not what a house is. A house is a home. It's mm-hmm. for your family. Absolutely. So, I think you talk about that emotional connection, Jim, but I think it doesn't, not that only does it not take into consideration the emotional cost of putting your life on hold, but actually in two years' time, there's no guarantee that the first-time buyers will actually meet the criteria and what lending is going to look like in two years' time because, we, you know, we, we've constantly seen change on that, you know, and they've taken away some of that stress testing. So will that have to be reintroduced? We just don't know. So waiting could also prevent them getting on that property ladder to start with as well. Yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. Jeanette says, a uh, quick question. Uh, getting a home report done tomorrow on a property, uh, can I expect a home, can I expect a home report a little over or is it below home report at this time of year? Uh, Jeanette, I know a good estate agent, by the way. <laughs> um, uh, it depends. I'll be honest, Jeanette, I'm going to be really upfront with this. Uh, your question is, do you expect a little over, a little under on a home report? Your question is, it all depends on what estate agent you're using. It's really about track record. It's really about how you do things. You could you could literally uh, uh, work this out by putting on doorsteps for 99 quid, uh, or you can go to an online service for, you know, basically all in a thousand pound. Um, but you're getting a call centre, you're not getting any personal experience about what's in the area, and then you can go to the mid-market estate agent who comes along, but then they send a student round to do the viewings, so when the buyer comes round and views the property, or the send, or, or even worse, they actually send someone round to do the viewings with the owner. Sometimes that's not a great thing, because we're not all specialist negotiators. I think the majority of people aren't specialist negotiators. And that's why the difference is, the difference is all levels of the stage. You've got a premium estate agent that does the viewings themselves, the knowledge about the area, they know exactly what they're doing, they, they can reach a wider market, they can engage with the right audience that you're after. Um, and then the price point to that audience, which is maybe further afield, is actually very more attractive than actually somebody in the locality which knows about these normal prices and only has the buying power for the price of that house. So if you get someone from further afield, that looks an easy gig to them, especially mm-hmm. when the average price point in Fife is £168,000 to buy a property. And the average price point in London is £525,000. And the average price point in Scotland is £192,000. Fife is extremely affordable, and especially on the back that the average salary right through the UK is almost the same 
as it is in Fife, as it is in the UK, as it is in Scotland. So with the same money, you could have the same accommodation that you'll have somewhere else at lesser price point. That's why it makes it more attractive. But you need to get an agent who understands that. You need to get an agent who understands the area. And that goes to everybody listening in. You know, that's the, that's the reality. She does say, yeah, <laughs> West Coast, sorry. Hey, I'll float over to Glasgow. <laughs> but it's still good advice. It's still good advice. Yeah, listen, uh, Jeanette, I guarantee you, it is still extremely good advice. Um, remember, when you're asking an agent for um, for a track record and experience, it's not the number of properties they've sold in the area. It's how much more than the home report value do they achieve over that. If they don't have that statistic readily available based on maybe last year's results, in other words, what the, what the home report value was for all the properties and what they actually got in the end, if they don't have that, then I've got to I've got to say they're probably a bargain basement box shifter and they just concentrate on volume because they don't see the value in actually measuring what they do and how well they achieve things. And because that's the most important thing to you, because the most important thing is the amount that you get at the end over the home report value, because that's what puts more money in your pocket. It's not the amount of money you save in your fee, because that's almost incidental. If your agent is achieving, is achieving 10% over the home report value on average, um, then potentially their average their average house is at the sale is maybe 200,000. So they're achieving 20,000 pounds over the home report value on average. If you have another estate agent that achieves 8% over, and we'll just say 8% because I'm not want to make a huge differential, and you're, you're getting somebody that gets 16,000 over. So the difference between the two agents at the end is 4,000 pounds. And the other agent is actually charging, uh, you know, another agent at 10% is maybe charging you 500 pound more. They're charging you 500 pound more, but you're getting 4,000 pound more than the other one at the end. So it's all about how much they achieve over the home report more than anything. Anyway, you've talked about it, Perry, the emotional costs. So now I have shown, now we've shown definitely the, the weight in the two years and the emotional cost of doing all that and the mortgage lending criteria allow you to step onto the property ladder as well, the like for like principle. So now we've shown you that, and that waiting will cost you financially and emotionally. Well, what's everybody's thoughts on the matter? I mean, you know, will five house prices drop? Yet, did you realise it will cost you more, even if the prices are falling? Do you believe the doomburgers? Do you believe in the robust nature of the British economy? Well, <laughs> I don't rely on the British economy, to be honest. Um, there, see, here's another one. Don't forget George Osborne. He was the Chancellor Exchequer at the time, I think he was. In 2016, in May 2016, said house prices would drop 16% or 18%. It might have been 18%, actually, if we were to vote to leave the European Union. So what happened then? Certainly didn't they drop 16 to 18%. Uh, and whilst many economists as well said that house prices would fall between 5 and 10%, I, uh, when COVID hit in March 2020, I could go back and I could get on the timeline here where every single person said in 2020 in March that the house prices were going to crash and we were all heading for doom and gloom. And yet it was the start of the boom. I remember receiving two phone calls. Yeah, I remember receiving two phone calls from English buyers that were buying properties from us 
one in St Andrews, one in Anstruther, asking for 10% off the asking price as soon as it went into COVID because they thought the property prices would crash. Right. And our response was, on your bike, or worse for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they went, oh, okay, then I'll just buy it at that price then. That's fine. Exactly. Good. Job done. I'm not going to pull out. No, I'm not going to pull out. There you go. But that's the point. That's all about having a strong negotiator and a strong estate agent. It knows the buyer. That's really important that they know the buyer. It's also they know the market as well, and they understand the statistics and the dynamics and the numbers of the market. That's key and essential in this type of housing market and this type of economy. It's someone that's up to speed who knows where things are going, understands that and learns on that. It's not someone that just says, yeah, put your house in the market. I'll put it on right moving. I'll put it on Zoopla. And uh, fingers crossed, we'll hope for the best. That's no the attitude. That's no what you should be buying into. Um, I mean, we all know what happened with these predictions now. Hindsight's a great thing. But I did say the boom was coming at that time. I did say I didn't see any reason for a crash. And this was against everybody else. I'm not saying that to say, like, I told you so. <laughs> but I did tell you so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, what, what's the, what's the, let's, let's wrap up here, Perry. What's your thoughts on this, the final thoughts on this? Well, for me, I think people need to do what's individually right for them, don't they? And if they believe that they will be better off owning their own five property um, rather than renting it, and we've shown ways of how that's a costly matter for you, I wouldn't bother waiting for the house crash or whatever's going to happen in a year, eight months, two years. If you're in the position to do it now, then I would just proceed now, personally. Absolutely. Jimmy? Um, I think for people that are waiting, they're probably not aware of how much the prices have actually grown in the last couple of years. I mean, according to the registers of Scotland, I think it was house prices increased, increased in five by about 14% last year and the year before was roughly about eight. So if they're waiting for it to crash, it's got a long way to go to where it was before the prices have come up so much. So you're going to be waiting for all, could be forever for it to go back to prices where you don't think, uh, where you think it's going to be before the price rushes or the pandemic started. And this gets back to Warren Buffett's example. Warren Buffett never sells at the top of the market. He sells at the point when he sells shares or he invests in a company. He never invests right at the bottom of the market. He invests when the numbers are right and the time's right for him personally. He does not try to predict anything because he says if you try to predict anything, you'll probably never do anything. And you'll probably end up losing more money. The evidence statistically suggests if you try to predict a housing market, you'll probably end up losing out more than you would have you just bought randomly at any point in time. Because if you're holding it for the long term, it makes no fundamental difference. It's like my house. I bought my house just before the credit crunch, 260000 Immediately overnight when the credit crunch happened, I lost sixty grand. But the house is now worth four hundred and fifty grand. It's all it's all it's all relative. It makes no difference because guess what? When I go buy my next house, it'll have gone up in value as well. So mm-hmm. I'm just trading like for like. It makes no fundamental difference if you're living in a house for the long term, whether it's up or down right now. It's whether the decision's right for you right now. And you've said it in a nutshell, Perry. That's it. It's if you believe you would be better off owning your own five home than renting one, then yeah, go and do go and do it. Why bother to wait? 
Um, you know, why bother to try and wait for a house price crash? Why put yourself up through that all that agony and torment? And 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 it's like you'll be you'll be completely obsessed for the next two years about house prices. Mm -hmm. And what does that do elsewhere? How does that affect the people around about you? How does that affect your mental health? How does that affect your um, focus on anything else that you're doing? If you're trying to concentrate and learn something else, you're going to be completely obsessed and focused on this every single day. Do you know how I know that? Because I sit and look at the bloody stock market every day. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, I'm in a tracker pension. It makes no difference. That's, it won't be what it is. I can't yeah. do anything about it, but I'm sitting looking at it all the time, obsessed by that number. And it's like, mm -hmm. why am I doing this? We talk about that often, don't we, about the fact that we sometimes can get so obsessed with the detail that we can't see the wood for the trees, to use that phrase. And it's like, don't wait for that perfect moment. If it was right for you, just go for it. Perfect doesn't always mean that it's the right thing to do. Just do what's right for you. And that's it. Thanks very much for coming to the show, guys. That's why exactly why we said in the beginning, waiting for our house price market to crash will actually cost you 27 pounds I hope everybody gets that. If you get that, please put your comments in. If you don't get it, put your comments in. This is a debate at the end of the day. If you have a different opinion, tell us. It's, it's only an opinion. It doesn't mean to say we're right. It doesn't say, say we're wrong. But looking at these facts there and then right now, we don't believe that there's going to be any significant crash. There will be a recreation. They're actually forecasting. I went down to London last weekend. And they're forecasting as well. Probably house prices will, be, will drop between 5 and 8% in the next couple of years. That is nothing to cry about, nothing to bother about, because literally we have gone up in faith by house prices by 8.8% at this point in time. We're only going back to a year ago then. Yeah. September 2021, just like we said. Happy days. It was good at that time. So why would it not be good this time? Anyway, that's it. Bye-bye for, for now, guys. See you later. Thanks, Bye -bye. guys. Take care.